Good morning again. Uh, you can turn in your copy of the scriptures to Matthew chapter 5. So we continue on through our series in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Well, I move this microphone. How are you guys doing? Are you good? I'm good too. Uh, Matthew 5. Let me read for us, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let me pray for us briefly. Lord, uh, we do pray that by the preaching of your word, uh, that you would cause us to stand again in the light of the glory of your grace to us in Christ Jesus. Uh, We pray that you would um, refresh us, renew us, remind us of all that you are for us in Christ, that he is a sufficient, perfect, wonderful Savior, uh, that he is indeed the light of the world. And help us then to take up this highest of callings to be salt in the earth and light in the world, empowered by your spirit. Would you do this for the sake of your name, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Steve, I'm gonna move your stand wherever you are. I don't know where Steve is, but. Do you know something that irritates me more than I think anything is when something doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Like, I'll give you an example. I cannot wrap my mind around how it is that we have sent people to space, but we are not able to make a dishwasher that actually washes the dishes without you having to wash the dishes first. I don't understand why you have to wash the dishes before you put them in the dish washer. It irritates me. Lindsay will testify. (laughs) At times, it feels like a bit of a useless appliance, and that's when something really becomes useless, right? It has a designated function that it utterly and consistently fails to perform. Now, what if I were to ask you, what is the function, the God-given function of the church? What if I was to ask you a little bit more personally? What is, as a Christian, your God-given function in the world? Hold on to that question for a moment. As I said, we we are continuing through our series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And uh, up to this point, I've told you that Jesus is preaching about the kingdom. He's come and he's announced the arrival of the kingdom, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, this morning, I don't know if you see back there, there's a bunch of voting machines, because this is one of those voting locations, and it struck me. You know, when Jesus shows up, he doesn't say, hey, vote for me for king. He shows up and he says, the kingdom is here, because the king is here. He says, I'm the king, and my arrival signifies the reality that the kingdom of God has come. And that, that fact, of course, is powerfully displayed in the, in the miracles that Jesus performs as he brings God's kingdom power into a world that has been broken by sin. And last week we saw that Jesus didn't come primarily to bring physical healing, but to radically transform sinners into kingdom people from the inside out. Right? We saw that when the, the kingdom breaks in, you finally see the truth about who you are, the reality of your own sin, 
which produces a poverty of spirit, a grieving over sin, a humility, and a hungering to be right with God. We also saw the reality uh, in, in the Beatitudes of God's grace poured out in Christ, which transforms people into merciful people as they see God's mercy, and to pure people as they see God's holiness, and into peacemakers as they see God making peace with them by the blood of Jesus' cross. But if you notice, the Beatitudes end on somewhat of an ominous note. They end with God's people, with those who are in the kingdom being persecuted, with those uttering evil and reviling those who are in the kingdom. And it assumes a question. And that question is this, what happens when the kingdom of God collides with a world in rebellion against him. And more to the point, how should you as a Christian interact with that world? How should the church interact with that world? You see, the reality is that when God, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're in Jesus, you put your faith in Christ and Christ alone, you know that at the moment of your justification, God did not just whisk you away to heaven, did he? No, he left you here in this world. And he left you here in this world to execute a function. And it's imperative as individual Christians and as a church that we fulfill the purpose given to us by God or else be useless dishwashers. You see, Jesus in this passage is going to warn his disciples that there's a way that we can become useless. We can become salt that is not salty. We can become lights that are not shining. We can become dishwashers that don't wash dishes. And so in this passage, Jesus answers these questions that I've posed. What, what is our function and how should we interact with the world? And let me, let me summarize Jesus' answer what I think is Jesus' answer in this passage. Let me summarize it this way. How should you interact with the world? What is our function? Here it is. Be what God has made you in Jesus for his glory. Be what God has made you in Jesus for his glory. That's Jesus' answer to the question. And what I want to do is examine that statement by asking three questions. Okay, so that's the big heading. That's what I want you to walk away with. That's what I think this passage teaches us, to be what God has made us in Jesus, for his glory, three questions. What has God made you? Why has he made you that way? And how has he made you? Okay? I'm going, my, I'm going journalism. You know, what, why, where, when, who? What, what has he made you? Why has he made you? How? So what has God made you? Uh, Jesus uses two metaphors to explain what he has made his people in relation to the world. Uh, first, he says, you are the salt of the earth. It's a metaphor. Now, you need to understand that in the ancient world, salt was first and foremost a preservative. It was a preservative. They didn't have freezers. And so in order to keep food from spoiling, they would use salt, especially in, uh, you know, with meat. Now, you have to understand that this is just as much Jesus' commentary about the world as it is a commentary about what our role and function is in the world. And, and think about what he's saying. When, when he says, you are the salt of the earth, he is implying that the world is like a decaying piece of meat. The world is, is decaying. It's, it's breaking apart. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a 20th century English pastor, he put it this way. He says, as the result of sin and the fall, life in the world in general tends to go into a putrid state. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. What Jesus is saying is, life in the world tends towards decay. It tends to go bad. It tends towards rottenness. Now, I, I don't need to spend much time arguing this, uh, this point, because if you've been alive for like any amount of time, you see this reality played out over and over again in the world, right? The world we live in tends towards decay and corruption and, and breaking down and deterior deterioration, right? relationships. Relationships go bad because of selfishness, because of bitterness and jealousy. Marriages break down 
because of unfaithfulness and anger and pride and families break apart. Governments become corrupt. Communities and neighborhoods deteriorate. Culture turns sour. And even our physical bodies testify to this reality. Right? Things like cancer and Parkinson's and dementia and joint pain tell us constantly that the world around us, because of sin's effects, is breaking down and decaying and coming undone. Now into that world, Jesus sends his disciples and says, you are the salt of the earth. What do you think he's saying? Into a world that's decaying and breaking apart, you are the salt. You are the, you are the preservative. He means primarily that his disciples are to have a preserving impact on the world. Their presence in the world slows and tempers and reduces the deterioration. His people act like salt scattered throughout the world, pressed down into the meat of the earth and keeping things from breaking down. It's literally like God, you know, with like we're the salt. He's like the salt shaker, you know, salting the world to prevent the world from deteriorating and breaking down. Now, how do we do this? You know, it's a metaphor. We're not actually salt. How do we live as salt? Well, we do it passively and actively, I think. I think we do it passively and actively. Uh, what do I mean? Passively, uh, there's a way that just by being a faithful Christian in the world, and I wonder, I, I wonder if you can uh, relate to this. I wonder if this resonates with you. Uh, there is a way that just by being a faithful Christian in the world at your job, among unbelieving family members and uh, friends and in the community, that you actually temper, your presence tempers the sinful inclination of others. Now, I, I'm not, here's, and hear me, you need to hear me very clearly. I'm not saying that you walk into the room and like you're just, Christian aura just starts getting people saved. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying when, when you walk into a room and, and you are known as someone who takes your relationship with God seriously, not always, but often, that will cause others to behave differently around you. They put a few more filters on what comes out of their mouth, right? They're not dropping as many F-bombs. They're not taking the Lord's name in vain. They're not uh, gossiping about someone in an insulting way. Have you, have you experienced this in your life? You know, when I was, uh, I came to faith when I was in high school, I was like 15, 16 years old, and uh, most of my friends were Catholic, and uh, I came to faith, and all I wanted to do was talk to my friends about who Jesus was and what I was learning and what God had done for me, and they just thought I was like the weird religious kid, and so they started calling me, ironically, the Pope, so I would walk in the room, and they'd be like, ah, the Pope's here, but you know what? The vibe would change, though. You know, I would walk in and the vibe would change. Like, there, there, would, there, there would be a little bit of a tempered, you know, we're not going to talk about the way we, we were talking. You know, the Pope walks in and uh, we're, we're, we're a little bit more careful about what we say. So there is this passive role in which Christians in the world uh, slow deterioration. But there's an active way. And this is what I want to focus on. Focus on. There's, a, there's an active way. I want you to be cognizant of this passive, but it's passive. I'm not really telling you, the Bible's not telling you to do something. You just, you passively are around unbelievers and that tends to happen, but there's an active way. That's what I want to focus on. So they live their lives actively as salt. How do they do that? Well, when others keep their distance from relay, when the world, right, contrast the kingdom of God, the kingdom of man, uh, God's people, the world, when, when the world keeps their distance from relationships and communities and problems and situations and heartache that are obviously filled with decay and brokenness, that's, that's how the world does it. When the, when the world sees brokenness and decay, they, 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 it's kind of like, keep my distance. I don't want to get involved with that. That's going to be a headache. That's going to mean investment, and that's the, like the, the the difficulty and the brokenness is going to like come on to me, and I'm going to have to. Do, so I'm to, I want to keep my distance. What Christians do, Jesus is saying. What kingdom people do, 
is they move towards brokenness. They move towards decay. Because they know God has called them to be salt, to have this preserving impact in the world. So they move towards decay and brokenness and and deterioration with redemptive purposes, with redemptive goals. They know that God has called them to be a balm and a salve to brokenness in the world, to open wounds. Brothers and sisters, think of the people in your lives. Like I don't want to just keep this in the theoretical. Think of people in your lives. It is not a question of whether or not sin is wreaking havoc in their lives. It's just a matter of how sin is wreaking havoc in their lives. Okay, you realize that. There are people in your lives that you know, unbelieving family members, unbelieving friends, people in your neighborhoods, and their lives are decaying and breaking apart and coming undone because they are separated from God, because they are living their lives blind to who they are, blind to who God is. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. How would the Lord call you to move towards them? How would the Lord call you to to move towards their brokenness and move towards their decay with redemptive aims? Not, Not only to address physical needs, which is part of this, right? It's, it's, not releg- it's not relegated to a just spirit, but to move towards people with physical needs, but also to move towards them with spiritual help. As salt, Jesus' disciples move towards brokenness in love and in a hope with a real desire and intention to help both in meeting these physical and spiritual needs. So Jesus' message to you this morning is to be what God has made you. Be salt. Be salty in the world. When I was in uh, like, you know, middle school and in high school, they would always say like, don't be salty. And what that meant was like, don't be bitter. But it's like, don't be salty. Why are you salty about that? But in the Bible, salty means move towards brokenness with, with, with redemptive aims. Now, the next metaphor is similar but different. The second metaphor Jesus uses is light. He says, you are the light of the world. Now, again, in calling his disciples light, he's implicitly saying something about the world. What, listen, let, we'll do a little uh, you know, inductive Bible study here together. If Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world, what is he saying about the world? Darkness. Yes, darkness. The world is filled with darkness. Now, we live in the Northeast, I don't know if that comes as a surprise to you. We live in the Northeast. And in the Northeast, there's always like ambient light somewhere. Even in the middle of the night, you go outside, there's ambient light somewhere. But you, you need to realize that in Jesus' day, most of these are uh, farming villages. And so really the only source of light would be fire, either by like a hearth in, in, a, in a home or like candlelight, right? And when it's the middle of the night and that fire goes out and those candles get snuffed out, it's pitch black. Like, you can't see your hand in front of your face black. And so darkness was symbolic in the ancient world for confusion and evil and, and hopeless despair. And you, you heard those ideas present in the passage that Trevor read earlier on in the service in Isaiah, right? Isaiah says, there's, there's no peace. There's no justice. There's no righteousness. And then, and then he says, we hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness but we walk in gloom we grope for the wall like the blind we grope like those who have no eyes he goes on to say we hope for justice but there is none for salvation but it is far from us do do you see do you hear the language of like hopelessness and despair and evil there's no justice there's no righteousness darkness was symbolic of of there being no hope There's just gloom. There's just sin and evil. That's a picture of the world, isn't it? You you look out at the world, it's a good description, right? It's a, a, a sad company of sinners groping around in the dark, blind and moaning for hope but finding none. 
right? Blindly looking for salvation in relationships and entertainment and achievements and possessions and reputation and so on and so forth. To find none of it can ultimately and finally fill their souls with light. Now, again, I don't really think I need to persuade you of this, but, but you can see the effects of this darkness all around, can't you? Can you? You can see it. You see the world's confusion and despair, the open rebellion against God's design for, for marriage and gender and work and family and friendship and money and on and on and on. The world completely flipping upside down God's light intentions, God's bright intentions for how the world should work, filled with darkness. Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Now again, that means, I think, two things. The first thing is, it means that, that Jesus' disciples are his instruments in the world for exposing the darkness. So I told you, very similar, but a little bit different. Okay, Jesus' Uh, disciples are instruments in the world for exposing the darkness. You know, when you walk into a dark room and turn on the light, it exposes and reveals what was hidden in the darkness. Now, the most dangerous blind person is the person that is blind but thinks he can see and stands in front of a car and says, give me the keys, I'll drive. That is the most... The blind person who knows he's blind and knows he has no business behind the wheel of a car, okay, no problem. The blind guy that's like, I'm good, I can see, I'll drive. Dangerous. That Jesus says part of our role as light in the world is exposing people to their blindness and darkness. You know, in a lot of ways, when we come to the world and say, hey, darkness, blindness, it's like trying to explain to a worm what it means to be dirty. It's, it's all they know. And nevertheless, God's people, Jesus' disciples, function in the world in a way that exists to expose the darkness, to point out the darkness. Now, now how do we do that? How, how do, primary, like when the scriptures talk about this exposing role that we play, how are we supposed to do that? I think the scriptures answer is primarily by how we live our lives. We, we, we got through a, a series on Philippians uh, just a little bit ago, and this is uh, w- one of the passages that we read. Philippians 2, 14 to 15. Do all things. L- again, listen, this is a description of people living their lives, how they live their, their lives. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see? Don't do it. Live your lives in a way that you're not grumbling, you're complaining, but your life in the midst of a crooked generation, the way that you live shines, reflects the goodness of God. So Jesus' disciples are to be light in the world so that as they hold out the light of God's goodness and his righteousness in the way that they live, they actually reveal the darkness that is around them. I don't know, you probably, maybe you've had these conversations, maybe you've not had these conversations. Have you ever had unbelieving friends who kind of started distancing themselves with you because they said something like, whenever I'm around you, I just feel guilty. You're you're so judgmental. And you're like, what do you mean judgmental? I'm not like slamming you. I'm not coming down hard on you. It is, there is again, a passive way in which the way you live your life shows them and reveals to them their own darkness that resides in them. They see the light of your life. They see the goodness of God reflected in you, and it, and it causes them to feel guilty about their own lives and the darkness that rests over them, even though they couldn't articulate that. But here's the second thing. As light, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. It's not only that we expose darkness, but that we point to the light. Right? We hold out a way to be rescued from the darkness. Right? As, as light in the world, we take every opportunity the Lord gives us to push back the dark by proclaiming the true source of light, which is Jesus Christ himself, and by living lies of light which show off his radiant beauty and power. How are we doing? How are we doing? You, you realize 
everyone in your life, believing and unbelieving, the, the, the most desperate need they have in their lives is to see this light. The light of God and Christ reflected in you. This is the most desperate need they have. The, every single person in your life needs to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. More than anything else. Do you know that? And do you know that God has made you the instrument as lights in the world by which they will see that light? But before we move on, I, I want you to hear the tone of Jesus' words and to understand the reason behind his, word, his words. You know, in both of these instances, he attaches to this description a, a warning, a, a caution. Look, look what he says there in uh, Matthew 5, 13. He says, uh, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And then if you jump down, of being light, he says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all that are in the house. You know, his, his words are of warning and his tone is urgent. Why is that? Jesus is preaching to his disciples about the kingdom and he's telling them, you're salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. But he attaches this, this caution, this warning, this urgent tone. Why? Because of our tendency, even as Christians, towards unsaltiness and hiddenness. Because of our tendency towards unsaltiness and hiddenness. Even as Christians, we find in ourselves an inclination towards sin and self so that we don't run towards brokenness. We don't run towards the decay with those redemptive ends and we, uh, we hide ourselves away, trapped uh, from, from a world. We hide ourselves away from a world trapped in darkness. But Jesus says, no, you must be what God has made you. You, you have to be salt. You have to be light in the world. No one has put this urgency and seriousness of Jesus' words better than Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in the confessing church in Nazi Germany. So there was the, the, the state German church, but then there was sort of like this underground church called the confessing church. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in the confessing church, and he knew something about the temptation to want to hide. Here's what he says, though. He says, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself, has ceased to follow him. Now, I want you to see that there are two ways of hiding, and you'll find that you bend towards one of them. It's a little bit of a spectrum. You'll, you'll find that you lean towards one. There are two ways that you can hide yourself. The first way is that you hide yourself in plain sight by becoming like the world. Right? You're supposed to be lights in the world, to not be hidden. One of the ways that you hide is you just hide in plain sight, and you become like the world. Instead of being willing to stand out and potentially face the insult and the persecution of the world, you, you so filter yourself around unbelievers that your life doesn't look anything different from the world. And in that way, you are hidden. But Jesus says, be salt, be light, be, be different in Jesus. Right, you, you have to know that when Jesus calls together his people, he's calling together a bunch of strange weirdos. Like we just are, like you just have to embrace that. Right? As Christians, you will be strange in the world. People will look at you and they will think, I don't know, there's something off. Like they're just weird. I don't get it. Always talking about God, always talking about Jesus. They're just weird. Is that okay with you? Amen. Jesus says, be what God has made you in him. Be, be strange, be different. You are sojourners, you are exiles, you are aliens. This is not your home. You are not of this world. You are, you are of the kingdom of God. You are citizens of heaven, not citizens of this world. You will be strange. So talk, so talk about God. Talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Talk about your church Talk about life in the body of Christ. 
Let people in on what's most important to you. Don't filter yourselves when you're around unbelievers. But the other way, so that's the first way. The other way is to hide yourself by withdrawing from the world, to just withdraw. You live your life in a bubble in a bubble, and you do what you can to limit interaction with the world. You're unwilling to be around unbelievers or to engage the culture on any level because you might see something offensive or you might hear something offensive. But, but when Jesus calls us to be light, the implication is that while we are never to embrace darkness, we are going to have to live in the world that is dark. We are going to have to be in and among people who are living lives of darkness. We are not of the world, but we are sent into the world. And so, so to be salt and to be light is not to retreat. You know, this is the error. I think I mentioned this uh, a week or two ago. This is the great error of monasticism, right? Of, you, you, know, you know, monks who basically built monasteries and withdrew from the world. The way we'll be holy, the way we'll be separate is we'll just hole up and live in our little monastery bubble. And Jesus, like, think of the image, right? Salt pervades. It goes throughout. Light pervades. It goes throughout. It's in. It's amongst. It's in the world. You see? So Jesus says to his disciples, be what God has made you. Be salty salt. Be shiny light. Okay, that's what God has made you. Now, why has God made you? The next question is, is why has God made you salt and light? Look at verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus gives two interconnected reasons. First, it's so that they will see your good looks. Uh, your, not your good looks. Wow. That, whoo. I don't know. How do you recover from that? Good night. They will, gosh. First, <laughs> Wow. Yeah, Jason, that's on you. You got to cut that one out. Uh, first, they will see your good works. Uh, now, listen, I want you to see when Jesus talks about the light, we can be quick to like jump to Jesus here. That's probably another one you want to edit out. Like, I, don't be too quick to jump. He, what is the light here? When he says, You are the light, what is the light there? He says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. The light here that Jesus is talking about is your good works. The light God intends for you to shine is the light of your good deeds, your, your life of good deeds. God made you light that you might shine forth good works so that people would see them. Paul tells us the same thing in his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 2, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now Paul says God made you a new creation in Jesus Christ for good works. And Jesus says it's those works that work like a light shining in a world of darkness. Now what's happening here? Because you, you can get like a little Sermon on the Mount whiplash. Because in a little bit, Jesus is going to say, like, don't, don't do your works before men. Don't let your righteousness be seen by men. And now he's like, hey, do good deeds so people will see them. And you're like, Jesus, which is it? What's happening here? here? Here's what I think it is. Jesus is saying, your life of good works. You with me? Your life of good works demonstrates the reality that you are, as one pastor put it, trophies of God's grace. Testimonies of his saving love shining forth the power of the kingdom to bring true redemption in people's lives. Your life, when you live a life of good deeds, true good deeds, motivated by love for God and love for people, you shine forth in your life the kingdom power that Jesus brings to transform people, to redeem people. The second thing is that, so the first thing is that they will see your good works, but then you notice it says, uh, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It says, as that, light, as that light shines and as that saltiness is pressed into the world, one of two things will happen. The world will either be repelled by it or attracted to it. Now, if you have your Bible open in front of you, 
Uh, you won't you won't see it uh, there. Well, I don't. We don't print the sermon text. But you, if you have your Bible, you will see that this passage is actually bookended. I was just talking about Brian with us. We were praying downstairs, and sometimes these uh, little headings are very helpful. Sometimes they're very unhelpful because they can kind of lead us to break up Jesus' thought. Right? Th- these are not just a bunch of like individual little sections that Matthew cobbled together. It's it's one sermon, and we can uh, miss the flow of it. Now, if you see. This is bookended, one, on the, on the top end, by uh, the world reviling and uttering evil and persecuting God's people. And then, you, and then at the end, it's they're seeing your good works and glorifying the Father. Now, what's different? The answer is nothing. It's that salt and light do both things simultaneously. Salt and light, light at the same time attract and repel. Now, consider again the metaphors Jesus uses. Uh, Jesus is a master teacher. I don't know if you knew that, but he is an absolute master teacher. And he uses two things. When he describes us as salt and light, he uses two things that are by nature equally attracting and repelling. Here's what I mean. Have you ever put something in your mouth that was so salty that you were like, ugh, ugh? Get that out of my mouth. I don't want to eat that again. You ever had that experience? Okay. Have you also ever had this experience? You open up a, a fresh bag of chips, put one in your mouth. Ooh, salty, savory. Can't just have one. It attracts. I want more. I need more. How about light? You ever have this experience? You're sound asleep, warm in your bed, and it's dark, and it's cozy, and then someone flicks the light on, and what do you do? You, you're like, shut that light off. I'm sleeping. Put it, make it dark. Like, repel. You ever had this experience? It's a cold night, Christmas time, and you're driving around, and you see the warm glow of Christmas lights, and you're like, ooh, let's go look. See, the light attracts. You see, salt and light, light, at the same time, they attract, and they repel. And Jesus is saying, you are salt in the world, and you are light in the world, and you are going to, at the same time, repel people. They're going to see you, They're going to experience the saltiness and the shininess of you. And some people are going to be like, yuck, get that away from me. And other people are going to be like, ooh, what's that? I want to see that. What's that about? Now, what's your job in that? Do you see what Jesus is saying? Is your job to tailor the response? Is your job to, are you the one that determines the yik response or the, the attracted response? No, you're just salt. He says, be salt, be light. And you will attract and you will repel. And those are, uh, that's not your concern. Your concern, your responsibility is to be salty and to be shiny. Now, that's why, right? The idea is that for some, though you will repel, others will be attracted, and it will provide for you an opportunity. They will, they will be curious. They'll, 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 want it. they'll see your life, and they'll be curious about the source of that life, and it will open a door for you to proclaim the gospel. We need to be careful here, because I want you to make sure you are not hearing me say that your life will save people. What your life will do, like those warm Christmas lights, is attract people to come in and say, Hmm, I'm curious, what is this about? And that will provide you with an open door to proclaim the gospel. We, will never, we can never separate salvation from the proclamation of the gospel. These things, they, they, they go hand in hand. But our lives act as a, as a, uh, a drawing, an a, 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 um, attracting force to people who see the power of God's kingdom at work in people's lives. That's the why. Now, how has God made you? I did the what, I did the, the, the why, here's the how. At this point, if you are a Christian, I hope that there are two things that are simultaneously happening in your heart right now. Uh, and you can tell me if this is the case. Not right now, after the service. Uh, one, I hope that you're saying, man, I really want to be salt and light. I hope you're, you're hearing Jesus' description of kingdom people 
who are salt and move towards brokenness and decay. And you're hearing Jesus who says, you are light in the world who, who exists to push back darkness. And your heart is saying, man, that's what I want to be about. I hope that's happening in your heart. The second thing I hope that's happening in your heart is you're going, I know that I am nowhere near the saltiness, nowhere near the shininess that I should be. I hope that you are feeling the conviction of not being salt in the earth and not being light in the world the way or to the degree that Jesus calls you to be. I hope you are feeling a bit like a dishwasher that doesn't wash dishes. I hope you are hearing Jesus describe what you are supposed to be as his kingdom representatives, which is an incredibly beautiful picture. And I hope you are saying, there is no way on God's green earth that I will ever be that kind of person unless a miracle happens, unless an act of God happens. I am not going to be that person. And you know what? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The last thing I want you to see is how God makes you into salt and light. I told you the main message of this passage is to be what God has made you in Jesus for his glory. See, if you would be light, if you would be light in the world, God must make you light by shining true light into your hearts. This is how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians. He says, chapter 4, verse 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, the way that you become this kind of person the way you, if I'm saying, be what God made you in Jesus for his glory, and you go, how? Here it is. The way you become this kind of person, the way you continue to grow, the only way you become this kind of person and continue to grow into what God has made you is when you stand in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. It's the only way. Don't miss Paul's allusion to creation there. He said, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness. He's, it's a, it's a, it's a callback to Genesis 1, right? God's creative power. And he says, that same God now does a work of recreation in your heart, shining the light of the glory of the gospel into your hearts. And it's by that light, it's by the glory, the bright, brightness, the brilliance of that light that he makes you into light, he puts it this way in Ephesians 5. He says, for at one time you were darkness. You, you, you catch that though, right? He, he, he says, for, not for at one time you were surrounded by darkness. For one time you were like darkness. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. See, it's only by that light shining in you, the light of Jesus Christ, the true light of the world, that the light will shine out of you. See, before you can run, let me, let me help you understand, help you see this. Before you can run towards brokenness and decay, before you will, before your heart will move you and compel you to run towards brokenness and decay, the decay of a world corrupted by sin, what you need to see is Jesus Christ who, we sang this, from his throne in heaven's light, descended down into my broken life. You need to see Jesus who comes and runs towards your brokenness, who sees your life being ripped apart, falling apart, collapsing, deteriorating because of sin. But, but listen, can you think back to your life before Jesus Christ? Can you think back to the deterioration that was happening? Can you think back to the way in which your life was ripping apart because of the sin that had taken root in your life? And Jesus doesn't hold you at arm's length. No, he, he runs towards your brokenness. He runs 
towards your decay. You, you need to see him not afraid to get his hands dirty, to, but, but to get into your mess with you, and not just to wallow with you in your sin, but to raise you up to new life, to rescue you from the darkness, to give you new birth by his spirit, to open your eyes to the truth of your own darkness, right? To show you who you are and who he is, to show you all that he's done for you. You need to see him. Listen to me. You need to see him. If you would be light in the world, if you would be salt in the earth, you need to see him bearing in his body all of your brokenness and all of your corruption in your place on the cross where his body was broken before the judgment of God. You need to see Jesus even now, right now. You need to see Jesus risen and ascended who meets you now who meets you now in your weakness and in your brokenness and who reminds you by his spirit all that he's done for you, right? Some of you think, because you are like me, that when you aren't salt and when you aren't light and when you're not executing the function, that Jesus is irritated with you the way I get irritated with the dishwasher. And you think Jesus is looking at you and he's throwing his hands up and he's, be, and he's, and he's just like, you, you just never do what you're supposed to do. And he's just irritated with you and wishing that you would just get your act together. Do you know that right now, Jesus is not standing over you, looking at you, arms folded, scowling at you, saying, would you just get your act together already? Do you know that that is not Jesus' posture towards you? What is Jesus' posture? He's not throwing his hands up. No, he, he's inviting you. Eyes warm, filled with light and compassion and love, saying, come again. Come stand in my light. Come stand in the light of my love. Come stand in the light of my goodness and my kindness and compassion. I've done everything for you. I've, 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 my body has been broken for you. Come stand in my light. Jesus says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, before you can be the light of the world, you have to know that you are only, always only a reflected light. You are not the source of light. Jesus is the one who is the true light of the world. He's the one who came into the world as the light and was rejected because people love the darkness because their deeds were evil. But he came, brothers and sisters, he came to rescue those who were in darkness. Brothers and sisters, do you feel as though you are in darkness? Do you know you're Jesus Christ who came into the world to rescue those in darkness? He went to the cross. Do, do you know when Mark comes to the crucifixion account, do you know he says, and when the sixth hour came, darkness covered the whole land. Now in the ancient world, I told you darkness is a symbol for confusion and evil and hopeless despair. Do you know what darkness is also a symbol of? It's actually a symbol of God's presence, specifically God's presence as a judge. And when Jesus went up on the cross, and darkness covered the whole land, it was as if the whole world, it was, this, it was as if the whole cosmos was bearing witness to the fact that God was present as judge, but he was there not to judge your sin because of your brokenness and your corruption. He was there to lay that judgment for your sins upon Christ, upon him. He bore the eternal darkness of the soul so that you could know true eternal light in him. You will only live as salt and light when first the light of the gospel becomes brighter and brighter in your own heart. So listen, here's how I want to conclude. Just five very brief applications. The first one is this. Build your life around the church. Like where is that coming from? In all of these passages, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Do you notice all of, well, you won't see it in the English translation, but all of those yous are plural yous. You all are the light of the world. You all are the salt of the earth. The implication is Jesus is talking to a people. He's talking to a, 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 a group. Specifically, he's talking to the church. So build your life around the church, not only because you will need the church 
to sow into you the light of the gospel over and over again that it might be brighter and brighter in your heart. But because it is the very light of the church bound up and unified in the gospel that shines out the light to the darkness in the world. Peter puts it this way. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Second, trust the ordinary means of God's grace. Do you know that when Jesus, he's looking for a metaphor, he's looking for an analogy for the church in the world, he says, salt, light, unimpressive. Salt is not very impressive, by the way. It's a little, little mineral. And yet when salt is sown into a piece of meat, it pervades everything. And when he says, you are the light of the world, he doesn't, and then he goes on to describe, he didn't say, you are the light of the world, like the sun. He says, no, like a little lamp in a house. The kingdom of God is not impressive to the world, and yet, even just a little bit of light can push back the darkness. Number three, live your life openly and transparently as Christians of the world. Don't, don't filter yourselves. Live as God has made you. Be what God has made you in Christ Jesus for his glory. Four, boldly proclaim the gospel of his grace as the Lord gives you opportunity. As the light of your life together attracts those, be quick to say, here's why. Here's where that light comes from. It comes from Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And above all, lastly, stand in the light. Brothers and sisters, stand in the light. Abide in the light. It's only when that light shines into your heart that you will be enabled to be light in the world of darkness. The brighter that light shines in you, the brighter it will shine out of you. So brothers and sisters, stand in the true light of the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ so that you might be strengthened to be what he has made you in Jesus for his glory. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, we pray that you would make us salt and light. It's our desire. We long for it. We long to be faithful. We long to be salt and light in the world, not for our name's sake, not for our reputation or for our esteem, but for your glory, that you would be seen, that Christ would be seen, the true light of the world. We know there is darkness. We know the world is breaking apart. We know that we have nothing in and of ourselves to push back that darkness, to push back that decay, but we know that you have sown into us the light of the glory of the knowledge of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And as we live out the reality of that light, you push back the darkness. You push back the decay through us. Help us to be faithful instruments in your hands. Lord, bless these brothers and sisters. And above all, Lord, I pray that you would cause them by your spirit to stand in the light, that, the, that your spirit would bring the light down deeper and deeper and deeper into their hearts, that they would know its warmth and its brightness in their lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.